podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick with Electricity Restored. Joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Solid 7 out of 10. I'm about a 3. Mm. About a 3 out of 10. It is incredible how you take certain things for granted. And we had no power here for 36, 38 hours. And it, it, life was very weird. We had to trek. 50 minutes to charge phones and torches and power banks and laptops and stuff um, because we were assuming the power wasn't coming back till Thursday because that's what we'd been told. And uh, my mother was delighted she was going to get to see me more in a couple of days than she has in the last three months. But it turned out that wasn't the case. Power came back on this morning, but still a little bit rattled by it. I'm another storm coming this evening, which is just lovely. Um. We are here today to talk about Liverpool versus Fulham in the second leg of the League Cup semi-final. But before we get to that, because, you know, it's Fulham and it's the League Cup, so it doesn't really warrant the full hour, let us have a look at some of the transfers that have taken place um, during this window. So, first things first, Carl, are you surprised how little movement there's been in this transfer window? Not overly surprised, I don't think. I think it was always likely to be a bit quiet at the start. Um, but I think the Premier League, if we look at movement as a whole, has been fairly slow this season. I'm thinking here in terms of managerial changes, in terms of um, teams either not starting as well as we expected them to, like to a, to a wide extent. Um, I think it's been a fairly calm Premier League start compared to previous years. I think that's probably what I would say it as. So I don't think that, you know, aside from a couple of teams that are right down at the bottom, that you would have expected too much immediate alterations. Like even, you know, obviously Everton with their their points deduction, they were playing well enough and getting enough points that I don't think it's an immediate concern for them. And there's not really a battle of like five, six teams down at the bottom who need to strengthen to make sure they don't stay there. So I don't think I'm wildly surprised that it's been really quiet. So one of the things the teams we probably would have expected to be busy would be Nottingham Forest, but obviously with them now under the the hammer for potential FFP violation or, you know, the, the failure to, to meet the profit and sustainability uh, rules, they've had to be quiet. They might sell somebody and then look to bring in one or two um like you said everton also have had they've had a points deduction and 
they are staring at another one. So they can't really do anything. Let's let's actually just go through. So Arsenal have done nothing. A couple of players loaned out. Um, Aston Villa and Costa Nedeljkovic uh, from Red Star Belgrade. And I believe he will arrive in the summer. Bournemouth have done nothing. Uh, Brentford have signed Eunice Emery Konak from Sivaspor for $3.9 million. Uh, don't know a whole lot about him, I have to say. Um, Brighton have signed Adrian Mazzulu from Romania and Valentin Barco from Boca Juniors, who's very highly regarded. And they're being linked to one or two other moves. So we'll see what they do. Uh, Burnley added David Datro Fafana from Chelsea. That one seems like a clever move to me because they definitely needed someone who could, you know, do the go- the scoring of the goals. Uh, Chelsea, maybe surprising, haven't done anything yet other than a couple of loan recalls. Everton haven't done anything. Fulham haven't done anything. Liverpool, it's just loan recalls. Luton have signed Tom Holmes from Reading for a million quid. Uh, Manchester City have signed Nahuel Ferresi from Sao Paulo for three points. Oh, no, sorry, they've sold him. And then you start to look up and down at the rest of the clubs that have, you know, maybe got things to do. Newcastle, no business. Forest, no business. Sheffield United, they signed Ben Brereton Diaz on loan from Villarreal, where, interestingly, he's been replaced by Goncalo Guedes. Spurs brought in Timo Werner on loan and Radu Dragazan of Genoa for $25 million, which is the big move of the window so far. No business from West Ham other than the sale of Connor Coventry. And Wolves, it's just a couple of loans and loan recalls. So very, very little business. Only Brighton and Spurs have actually signed players who are going to join now. And that just... What are we? We're 23 days in. That just seems very, very little to have been done. Oh, and Sheffield United with Brereton Diaz on loan. Yeah. Um, look, January is always a little bit chaotic right at the end. And then we always sort of look back and say to the teams, well, you know, you wanted someone. Why have you left it until the last few days? Um, perhaps this year that will exacerbate itself in terms of meaning that a few more deals don't get done in the last few hours you know if there are teams trying to bring people in and sell them on well someone's got to move first you know so some of those deals might not get done in the end uh even more than usual i don't really understand it when teams suddenly make bids at you know 11 o'clock or 10 30 at night or whatever and try to get it over the line and oh we missed out by three minutes yeah but you didn't start it until the final like 0.4 percent of the whole window so you know whether that will be an increased knock-on effect this time around we'll have to wait and see if it is, obviously, there's not going to be much sympathy from anywhere around. Um, again, I mean, there's not usually big money deals done in January either. It is usually a lot of loans, recalls from loans, uh, play a contract cancelled and then sign for someone else on a free, that kind of thing. So you'll get the odd few big deals done or younger players signed for, you know, 18 months or six months or 18 months of, of sort of integration and then come into the team. Um but I just don't. I just think that because of the way the bottom of the table is, you know that that stuff doesn't usually affect the top clubs. They'll just do the deals as and when they can anyway. Um, it's very rare that you'll get someone signed 
from let's say a Champions League challenging side and they'll be like oh, this is the guy who's going to make the big difference for us unless they were already planning to sign that player anyway and it just suddenly happens to be that they can sign them like a, a Luis Diaz for example it just became available then instead of in the summer so I think it's really down at the bottom where we would normally get these deals um, I mean a team like Tottenham are obviously still trying to reconstruct themselves to an extent so Dragosin is obviously a part of that Timo Werner I suspect is fairly opportunistic because of his situation at Leipzig and just the fact that they've you know maybe got one or two players in the attacking line who they not finding as is quite at the level or consistency level that um, and wants them to be so yeah I'm not massively surprised um, you know we we may well get a couple of big sales and then people start spending money and that have as a knock-on effect in the last week but Again, I don't I don't think that it's going to be an enormous close to the window. I think if you look at last January, obviously Chelsea skewed everything last January with Enzo, with Mudrick. We got Anthony Gordon going to Newcastle for 40 million from Everton. We obviously signed Cody Gakbo. Uh Badia Shile and Mudeki both went to Chelsea, as did Malo Gusto. You had two relegation-threatened sides who would go down and spend big money on Jorginho Ruter to Leeds and Kamaldeen Suleimana to Southampton. Uh, Leandro Trossard and Jakob Kivor both went to Arsenal as they tried to put the hammer down and go for the title, but ultimately failed to do so. Uh, Bournemouth, who were scrapping against relegation, they went big and brought in Zabarni and Oatara. Nottingham Forest and their bid to stay in the division, they signed Danilo. Um, Chelsea also signed Andre Santos because, you know, you can just, why not sign everybody? Um, but those are kind of the big deals from from last year. And like you said, there's, I, I suppose, do you think is it the makeup of the league this year? Because it, it does kind of look like we've got three teams that are a couple below the rest. And maybe they're not willing to spend big because they don't view their chances of survival all that highly. It will, two in particular in Sheffield United and Burnley, who've gone the lone route, bringing in Datro Fafana and Brierton Diaz, rather than you know spending money to address the other issues that they have in their team. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said before, I think the fact that we don't have five, six teams who are scrabbling down at the bottom or trying not to be in the relegation zone it does make a big difference it doesn't force those Bournemouths Nottingham Forests those kind of ones to go out and immediately reinforce the squad with you know maybe two three players you look at what Bournemouth did last year and we spoke about it you know a good few times they did go quite big they also brought in a couple who they knew would be good for them this season and beyond in you know people like Zabani who we spoke about a lot at that time um, and I think that that's proven to be a positive thing, a wise decision that they made in the end. But they were kind of pushed to make the decision by the fact that obviously they were down there-ish. So in that respect, we don't have that this year because we don't have to have it. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that's the biggest thing. The threat of going down is always the biggest push to make important moves and and changes in the squad which matter and that there just isn't that for enough teams this year i do wonder if if the forest and everton punishments had been doled out in this window and it doesn't look like they will be it looks like it'll be february or march before they find out 
whether they're going to be docked 10 points. I do wonder if they were docked the 10 now, might we see a bit more from Burnley, from Sheffield United, from Luton, and from those two clubs? Because, you know, you look at the table right now, Forest have 20 points, Everton 17, Luton 16, Burnley 12, Sheffield United 10. If Forest got their 10 points deducted, they would go below Burnley, but be above Sheffield United on goal difference, and Everton would go right to the foot of the table. And maybe then Burnley and Sheffield United in particular would look at it and say, well, look, what we need to do is match Everton's results, match Forrest's results, and just, you know, overhaul each other or overhaul Luton, and we're fine. So let's spend a bit of money now. But as there's quite a bit of uncertainty around both of those punishments for the moment, and personally, I think the Forest one is quite unfair because two of the years that they're counting towards Forest are years outside the Premier League. And I think I think Forest have been punished for ambition here because they have to spend to get themselves into the Premier League. And then they have to spend to stay in the Premier League. And I think if we punish teams for doing that, we're just going to end up with the same three teams being relegated and then promoted every single year. It'll be six teams. Three will go down, three will come up, then the three who have come up will go back down, and the three who went down will come back up. And we'll end up in this endless circle with these teams because they get the benefit of having had the Premier League parachute payment and being able to sell Premier League calibre players in order to fund their campaign in the championship and stay within compliance. You look at what Leeds did this summer, you look at what Southampton did this summer, and you look at what Leicester did this summer. And if I'm not mistaken, they're three of the top four in the championship right now. And Ipswich are wobbling a little bit. And it'd be no surprise if those three teams ended up as the top three and ended up coming back up while Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United go down. And then it would be no surprise to me in 12 months' time if the same three teams went down Leicester, Leeds and Southampton while Sheffield United, Burnley and Luton come back up because the teams coming back up will get punished for spending to try and stay in the division. I think they've been punished for ambition. Everton are being punished for incompetence. There is no excuse, none whatsoever, for losing that much money when you're a founding member of the Premier League and you've been getting Premier League TV money every single year. There is no excuse for Everton not being in compliance. So I think the punishment for Forrest is wrong. I think Everton are just unfortunate because it'll be their second punishment of a year. And people are saying that next year they're facing another punishment. And if they go down, it's almost certain that they'll get another punishment because they'll have no way of um, of rectifying their books. So even if they stay up, if Everton managed to stay up somehow after having 20 points deducted, in all likelihood, they're going to have to sell one or both of Onana and Brantway just to balance their books out before they consider doing any spending. So they're in a mess. Forrest, like I said, I think it's just they're being punished for ambition. And I do wonder if the other clubs, as well as you know those points deductions not being handed out, they're also looking at it and going, well, hang on, if we spend, especially Burnley, who spent in the summer, if we go and spend money now, 
and stay up, will we get punished for that next season because we won't be in compliance with the FFP rules? So I, I think you're hampering competition in some ways with some of these rules when clubs have been punished for years that include years where they weren't in the Premier League. Yeah, I'm, I must admit, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't initially realise that, you know, obviously there's going to be a sliding scale and Forrest have got fewer years, so therefore they can have fewer uh, millions spent. And I think that that's fine. But I do, like you say, think that there needs to be... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. An acceptance of what the Premier League has created to the necessity of doing to get there in the first place. And maybe that's not all accounted for in this FFP. But also what we probably have to acknowledge is that this is really the first time that FFP has been truly tested on a consistent basis. And so there is going to be some um, uh, discrepancies, some deficiencies, some probably bad rulings within that. And that will have to obviously be sorted out as time goes on. But that's of absolutely no help whatsoever to what seems like nothing Forest than that now. So it is a problem to be fixed. But uh, I don't think that there's likely to be uh, anything they overcome for this particular round of frustrations, charges, whatever you want to call them. No, I agree. I, I kind of feel like clubs who get promoted should get a two-year grace period. And then after that, they've got to get their, you know, because two years is what it takes to sort of establish yourself in the Premier League. And I feel like clubs should be allowed to spend the money that's required to do that. Because, like, as good as the championship is, and it's a great league to watch, there's loads of fantastic players, and it's such a competitive league, the gulf between it and the Premier League is enormous. Absolutely enormous. Like, if we look at the, the Premier League table and Luton have 16 points, then it's Everton with 17. But Everton should have 27. Like, let's not forget that. Everton would have 27 points if it hadn't been for the deduction. So Luton, who've done, I think, far better than anybody expected to this point in the season, they'd still be four points off a Forest team who've already sacked their manager this year who are performing at a level that their ownership has deemed completely unacceptable, then it's another point to Crystal Palace, who, according to certain reports and rumours, are on the brink of a managerial change themselves. Then it's another point to Brentford, who've been decimated with injuries all season and had their best player missing up until the last game week. And then it's two more points to Fulham. Like, the gap between the three teams that came up and the teams that were already in the division was pretty enormous. And, like, let's remember, this is only Forrest's second season. So they're still trying to find their footing as well. I just think it's 
it's really unfair on teams to have them like every club in the championship loses money. That's just the nature of the championship. You're going to lose money because you're not in the championship just to be in the championship. You're in the championship to try and get into the Premier League because that's where everybody wants to be. So you're spending money to get into the Premier League. And all of these clubs, Brentford did it. They were making, as, as well run as they are, they were making a loss in the championship, even with some exceptional player trading. Bournemouth were making a loss in the championship. Brighton were making a loss when they were in the championship. Villa made huge losses when they were in the championship. They were all recently promoted teams. You have to lose money in the championship. It's just the nature of it. And then to come up into the Premier League and be told, okay, so you've lost all this money in the championship now, so you can't really spend now that you're up. Because you have to make sure that you don't lose more than 105 million over three years. I just think that's very uncompetitive and it's unfair. Like, there will always be a club like Luton who'll come up and think, you know what? We don't want to overspend here. What we're going to do is we're going to build a really good championship team. We're going to have a good go. And if we stay up, brilliant. If we don't, we're going to go down with a team that's ready to compete at the top of the championship. Norwich have done it in the past. But for a club like Burnley who've come up, they've spent money, they've been aggressive, they've been ambitious. If they stay up, well, the likelihood is that they'll get punished next season and they'll get docked 10 points at some point. And then that puts them at a huge disadvantage again. And it will be because they've been ambitious. So it's not It's not like an Everton situation where it's incompetence. I, I just, I feel like we need a bit more, a bit more gray area mm. when it comes to profit and sustainability. And we need some sort of exceptions built in. Yeah, I don't think that there should be an absolute grace period, like, you know, a free for all for a year or two years or anything. But it definitely does need to be more of a sliding scale of what is acceptable and what is not and the timings of that. Because like you say it's very very difficult to come up and have a premier league ready team if you're not going to spend any money but by the same token obviously if you let them come up and spend what they want in that first year then you're skewing competition the other way you're letting a burnley get a, a player that crystal palace can't afford for example even though in most situations that crystal palace might well be the more attractive option and so i do think that there needs to be so sorry when i say three a grace period what i mean is you, you don't get punished in the first two years. But in year three, you have to balance your books. So you can come up and spend whatever you need to spend in the first two years, but your three-year accounting period is at the end of that third year. So it does account for years one and two. So you still have to be careful. You can't come up and just blow 300 million. Yeah. But you can't get punished in the first two years would be more my point. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like I say, as long as there's more accountability or some more flexibility somewhere along the way, then yes, that's that's going to be more applicable to to having a competition, let's say, rather than just like you say, a group of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen teams. Otherwise, it is going to be just a, effectively a Premier League one and a Premier League two, and the ones who are in there are just going to stay there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, when. When Project Big Picture got floated, one of the reasons they floated it was to make the league more competitive. Like it was, as much as it was skewing in favour of the big six, it was also an attempt to lift the bottom of the league up 
and rein back in your Manchester City, your Chelsea. Like, let's not pretend that the owners of Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester United haven't spent the last 20 years looking at the way Chelsea spent money under Abramovich and under under Todd Bowley now and looking at the way City have spent money and throwing their arms up in the air and saying, well, hang on a second. These clubs were, hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Afterthoughts for decades, absolute decades, we have built our clubs in sustainable ways. Now, you can argue about United and sustainability when they've got that debt hanging over them, but they've built their clubs up historically with global fan bases earned by winning stuff the right way, quote-unquote. Whereas Chelsea and City came along and just started spunking money left, right, and centre, in in most cases um, against the, the rules of the competition, but managing to hide it very well. So they wanted to eliminate that at the high end, but also to lift up the clubs at the bottom end. And one of the things they suggested, obviously, was the 18-team league, and one of the aims of that was to make it a bit more competitive, to not have a team 21 games into the season having 10 points. You know? I think there was more merit in Project Big Picture than it was given credit for. There was obviously flaws in it, no question. The same with the Super League. There was flaws in the Super League. There was a lot of merit to it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think because the Everton... Like you said, this is the first time they've really hammered home the FFP and profit and sustainability rules at the Premier League level. We've seen it happen in the Championship um, and in League One a couple of times over the last few years. But it's the first time they're really doing it in the Premier League. And that probably did cause a number of clubs to pull back on moves that they had planned for this summer, or for, for this window, rather. Like, there probably was moves that Fulham wanted to make. There might have been moves that Everton or Nottingham Forest wanted to make. There's probably moves that Bournemouth want to make. But they're looking at their last couple of years' worth of accounting and thinking, well, actually, we can't. Because then next season, for the advantage we gain this season by getting the player, we lose next season because we're going to get hit with a a 10-point deduction. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's overriding, or that is the overriding point of what it was all about. You know, you you got to make them do it. 
at the right times. You've got to make them not spend now and just think we'll worry about it later. They have to remain within the sustainability. That's the point of sustainability. Um, it's not just kick it down the line. It's to make it what you can do now. It's just that I think because there has been either leeway given before or maybe different standards held before or perhaps just not really anybody had that punishment before. That's what's given people the pause. It's not the fact that it's the rule or the fact that it's being implemented. It is the punishment, isn't it? That's the only thing that really they care about. Yeah, completely. Uh, it is interesting that the top four, as yet, have not done anything. Villa, Villa signed a young goalkeeper for the future, but Liverpool, City and Arsenal have done nothing uh, as yet. Newcastle... I mean, they've they've been quite open about the fact that they can't really afford to do anything at the moment. Um, but there is now at the at, at this time a deal for Miguel Almiron to go to I think it's Al Shabab in Saudi that might open up a bit of wiggle room for them. Um, not sure what they would do with that money. Um, I, I assume given they have. Harvey Barnes due back soon. The idea would be that they go Barnes, Isak, Gordon as a front three. Um, but then there's no real depth behind that other than Callum Wilson. And he he's being linked with a move to AC Milan. So they'd ha- they almost certainly have to bring in another attacker if Wilson and Almiron left. And then Trippier apparently could be a way to Bayern Munich because Harry Kane has decided that learning German is just too difficult. So instead he's forcing Bayern to bring in bang average English players like Eric Dyer and Kieran Trippier. Um, Which of those deals is the strangest to you, Carl? Uh, Callum Wilson to AC Milan, Kieran Trippier to Bayern Munich, or Miguel Almiron, who I would have said was one of the more important players at Newcastle over the last 18 months or so, potentially leaving to go to Al-Shabaab? Uh, Almiron for me, just because of the, <coughs> excuse me, because of the back of last season. Uh, that was comfortably his best campaign in England. He showed what he can be and what he was previously in, in MLS and, um, you know, his capabilities when you're playing in a, a team which is attack-minded and high up the pitch and able to counter as a unit rather than just him and maybe Joe Linton, 60 yards apart from each other. Um, so I think <laughs> the Steve Bruce special, <laughs> I think it's, um, an odd time for him to go, um, in terms of footballing, I don't want to say prestige, but certainly showing what he's capable of doing at the higher end of, of, of any league, you know, um, I think Callum Wilson to Milan is, is not a bad fit to be perfectly honest, like a decent player. For a team at that level, obviously, Serie A, the very, very top end, I don't think is as elite as the top end of the Premier League. So I think he'd be a very good forward for them, probably a very good fit for them. Um, and I do think he is replaceable as a as a forward for Newcastle as well, to be fair. So I don't think that that's mm. a bad one at all. Um, Trippi is obviously a bit of a, an odd one for Bayern, but in a relatively short term, he's already played abroad. They need cover in that area. And let's be honest, his last month with Newcastle was, I mean, there's, there's bad months and then there's falling off the cliff in the way he did. And I've no doubt that if he you know, comes back and carries on, he'll be perfectly fine again afterwards. But, you know, it was such a bad, bad drop off that he had as a result of maybe overplaying, 
others around him, just general loss of form and bad luck probably as well. So I wouldn't be hugely surprised if he left. I never really thought that he was, you know, a four-year player for Newcastle or anything like that. So definitely Miguel's yeah. choice of departure, let's say, would be the one for me if it happens. Yeah, for those that don't know, Al-Shabaab, uh, they own Yannick Carrasco. He's there at the moment. And Romain Sice is there on loan from Al Saad in Qatar. Uh, they also have Habib Diallo, who's not bad, and a couple of other players uh, that I don't really... Iago Santos, I'm not familiar with. Gustavo Quayler, don't know him. Kim Sung-Gyu, that's the South Korean national team goalkeeper, so he's there too. They're not one of the, the big four. In, in Saudi Arabia, though they have won six league titles, so they're probably the biggest club outside the big four. Um, Al-Nazir, Al-Halal, Al-Ali and Al-Itihad, they're probably the, the number five club there in terms of success and history. But We're not having a big four for Saudi Arabia. Well, there's not a big four, but what there is is there's, there's four clubs. No, there's, there's four clubs owned by the PIF. Yes. Who are spending more than the other clubs that are also secretly owned by the PIF, is what I mean. Yes. yes. <laughs> there's the four clubs the PIF admit to owning, and then there's the other clubs that they don't admit to owning, but they're definitely funding as well. Um, yeah, I, I I think that would be the weirdest one as well. The only thing I would say, though, is if Wilson goes and Trippier goes, they have, like, I mean, Isak is the first-choice striker. Wilson was very much his backup anyway. But with Wilson gone, they'll need to bring in another striker because you can't just run Isak into the ground week in, week out. We've already seen him have a couple of spells out with injury since joining the team. And at right back, they bought Tino Livermento, who is is really, really good and is going to be, I think, a top player. But they've got no depth behind him. And then they'll just run him into the ground as well. Now, he'll be able to take it maybe a bit more than Trippier because he's 21 22 rather than 33 34 but he is also not long back off an acl tear and whether you should be overplaying him is is definitely up for debate um they're in what they really need carl is a big sale that will enable them to go and buy three or four players to flush out the squad and i i feel like that was going to be gamerish until Tonali got his ban. I've always felt like Tonali was bought to replace Gimerish rather than play with him. And given they gave him a buyout, given they gave him a weird buyout that can be paid in installments, I, I kind of feel like when Newcastle re-upped Gimerish, it was almost like a thing of, look, Here's extra money because you've been great, but you're leaving at some point because for us to continue to move forward because of the the microscope that Newcastle are, are operating under, I, they're going to have to, I think, sell him. And that will then enable them to flush out their squad and then you know use whatever money they can bring in through commercial deals or... TV rights or whatever to then improve the team. So, like, if you sold Gamerish, could you go and buy, you know, a backup Ford, a backup 
fullback and maybe one starter and maybe another centre back. Maybe you get a young centre back to come in. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like that's their best move is to flip Gamerish, make a huge profit on him, obviously, and then turn that into three or four players. And then in time, perhaps you do the Isak where you, you buy his replacement in advance, then you sell Isak, and then you reinvest that money into three or four players. And it becomes more of a slow build than I'd imagine what the PIF thought they'd be able to do, but it becomes a sustainable build as well. And, and one that doesn't draw massive attention from the powers that be. Yeah, um, I think that's sensible and probably what they will have to do. I also think that that's, you know, more or less replicating what most teams try to do. So, yeah, that is kind of what you should be doing. Um, You know, obviously they have a little head start themselves because they had the money to make the, the first purchases anyway, which not all clubs have. So they have that little injection of cash. But then selling one to buy two or three and improving the squad. That's that's what all the teams have been doing anyway. You know, the, the Brightons, the Bournemouths, the Liverpools, all at different levels, but that's what they've been doing. You know, you make your sales and then you improve as you go along. And obviously at the same time, people like Dan Ashworth have spoken about where Newcastle need to improve off the pitch as well to generate extra funds there. So it doesn't have to be all about sales, but they've got a long path to travel on that uh, commercial and club strength side of things, let's say. So in the short term, it is definitely Jimenez and Isak who are the main ones. I'd probably also include Anthony Gordon in that just because of the fact he's English and has uh, you know, the capacity to score more goals and have more final third end product than he has. If he does that, he will become a valuable commodity. Even if he's not the best forward out there, he's, he's still got attributes which top teams want and eventually need when they're playing in Europe, obviously, with homegrown rules and all the rest. So you'll probably be able to add him to that list somewhere along the way. Um, but yeah, other than that, that that really is the only way they've got forward now, especially with having almost hamstrung themselves a little bit, spending so much, as they had to, to escape the, the part that they were in. They've basically used up their free hit on doing that first part rather than the uh, get from 10th to 4th kind of part, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I mean... Anthony Gordon, he just screams Manchester United or Chelsea, doesn't he? He just screams that he's going to be someone that one of them would overpay for. Man United. If he was to hit a hot run of form, yeah. Like, if, if he was to hit a hot run of form at the end of the season and get, like, let's say he gets eight goals in the last ten games or something, and Toon make it, make it known, you know, through different people in the media, Luke Edwards or whoever's close to them, that they'd be open to selling for 70 million. It just screams like something United or, or Chelsea would do. He, he, he's enough of a prick to fit in with either as well. Um, I could, and that would represent a 30 United. million pound profit. Yeah, it would. That the, the profit is obviously an important factor. I would also could quite conceivably see United paying a sort of Jaden Sancho amount of money for him to effectively replace Sancho, even though it doesn't really solve the positional problems that they've mm. had in the squad before and after Sancho. Yeah, nothing would be more Manchester United, who already have Marcus Rashford and Garnacho for that left-sided role, than to bring in another player who prefers to play in the left-sided role for a huge amount of money to replace a guy who prefers to play in the left-sided role <laughs> and was signed for a huge amount of money. It would be just it would be very United. Um, maybe th- maybe there's a deal for Toon 
where they could take back Sancho and Cash. So they'd get a really good player back out of the deal and some money to buy something else. And personally speaking, I think Sancho's a much better footballer than Anthony Gordon. It's just that, you know, the Sancho at at, at, Newcastle, at Manchester United thing, that's over. He's not going back there barring a change in manager. And even then, given some of the stuff that's leaked out about him and been very purposely purposefully leaked out about his behavior and his lateness and stuff like that, I'm not sure he's going to go back there either way. Um, let's move on then to tomorrow night's victims, Fulham. Liverpool obviously hold an advantage from the first leg, winning 2-1 at Anfield. Now, Fulham haven't played... Or Fulham have played since then, sorry. Fulham played Chelsea three days later and lost 1-0 to a Cole Palmer penalty in stoppage time at the end of the first half. Um, gave a decent showing of themselves, but nothing I don't think that would cause us much worry. Uh, we obviously beat Bournemouth 4-0 at the weekend. Um, the scoreline that maybe flattered us a small bit, but hence it went about our business in a very professional manner. And it's worth noting that of the 1.37 XG they accumulated in the game, 0.95 of it came after the fourth goal. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. When we were just, you know, taking the foot off the pedal and and just kind of cruising through the rest of the game, they had the two big chances. Um, one for David Brooks, one for Kiefer Moore, uh, which which was most of their XG in the game. Um, we've gotten good news today, injury-wise. Curtis is fine. No, no injury from the weekend. Andy Robertson is back in full training and is available for the Fulham game. Dominic Zabozlai is back in full training, will be available for Norwich at the weekend. And potentially Trent could be available for Norwich at the weekend as well. So that's all very, very positive. Yeah, all really good. Um, quite important that we get one of the fullbacks back at least, I think. I think the guys who have come in have been really, really good. Nobody has really put in a even a substandard performance, let alone a poor performance, I don't think. But there's still obviously consistency 
um, questions with some. Um, there's still the fact that others have suffered injuries or in the case of obviously the young players haven't had to play the games regularly on a, a long-term basis. So the longer we do rely on them, the more chance there is of mishaps, either form or, or fitness. Um, so it is important that we get at least one of those back so that we can start rotating in and building them back up and not having to rely on everybody else. Um, obviously, that could in time free up Gomez to be another central defensive option as well, which is, again, going to be important uh, across the rest of the season. So it's quite positive. I think we've done really well to manage the injuries at the back in the way that we have done, uh, probably in midfield as well. Very glad that Curtis is not going to be an absentee because we don't have that many options. Like we can't even really consider Thiago and Basetic as options in midfield because they haven't been all season long. So we are a little thin there. Um, but like I say, we've managed it really, really well. We've probably been slightly fortunate in when the games have come out over the last month and which competitions they've been in. But even so, we've still been winning them, which is the most important thing. Yeah, agreed. Um, agreed with Curtis, like, he's been so important to us of late. Like he's one player that I don't think we can afford to lose right now, especially with Endo being away. I think Curtis is all the more valuable because he is outstanding defensively as good as he is on the ball and, and all that he can offer going forward of the three midfielders that are currently starting with um, McAllister and Jones. I think Jones is the best of them defensively. Even though McAllister has great defensive stats, I'm not talking purely about you know tackles and interceptions. Curtis is the best presser. He's also the best at tracking runners. He's the best at blocking passing lanes. He's the best at doubling up with his fullback against uh, an attacking wide player. I think all of these things are hugely important for us while we don't have that sort of natural number six. Um, Fulham... They're, a, they're they're just a strange team, Carl. Like, they're kind of a bang-average mid-table team. Sit 13th, 24 points from 21 games, 28 goals scored. Most of them came in a four-game run. 36 goals conceded. I don't think they've been... Have they been shellacked this season in the league? City beat them 5-1. We scored four past them in a game that they all scored three in. But they just, they seem to concede multiple goals every game. And they don't have great firepower. And you look at it and you think, we should beat them comfortably. And I do think we will beat them. But for some reason, they make me nervous. For some reason, I don't like playing Fulham under Marco Silva. I, I just think the way he sets them up and the way they kind of, the way they move the ball into wide areas and create chances, it, it just seems to cause us some problems. And it really should because they're not a good attacking team. Yeah, they do seem to score against us and create a lot of chances against us. I think partly it's the similar sorts of problems that we've had previously. Um, we have had games where we've really struggled against teams who attack very fast down the flanks, who have runners in behind, that sort of thing. Um, not necessarily every single game, but just certain opponents. And sometimes, you know, someone like Bobby Deck would overread. He always seems to cause us problems, to be perfectly honest. He always seems to be capable of scoring. Deck would overread always creating chances against Liverpool, or he's the danger man who makes the runs in behind and so on. So 
yeah, I understand it. Sometimes there's just a team who maybe not has your number, but certainly gives you more sleepless nights than they do against other clubs. Ultimately, we've beaten them every time still. And that's like you, I expect us to still do that again. Um, it, there is the added fact of obviously you're playing for a final, playing for a space in the final, playing for you know an opportunity to get into Europe for them, for a trophy, all the rest of it. So it's going to be difficult. It'll still be them at the very top of their game and giving everything that they can. But as I said before, I still expect that we would triumph because we know how to do those things. We expect to do those things off ourselves. And uh, obviously we've also had the fairly consistent manner of proving that we can do it. So I would expect Liverpool still to, to come out on top, but I don't think that this is an easy one. I don't think this is a game we win, you know, two, three nil or win on aggregate by more than a goal or two. It's going to be fairly tight and tough. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts on it. That we this is the the likely it is if we win this game, we win it by the odd goal, rather than you know going there and and putting three or four past them and coming away very comfortable. Um, injury wise, we we know where we stand. Like you said, we shouldn't really be talking about Thiago or Besetic anymore because. They haven't played all season. Besetic has played, what, two sub-appearances or one start and one sub-appearance. And he hasn't kicked a ball since mid-September. Um, Thiago hasn't kicked a ball all season. Matip is out for the year. That's that's unfortunate. Mo, he's injured, but he'd be away anyway. So we weren't counting on him. And the same goes for Endo. He's away. But Curtis is fine. Robbo's fine. Trent and Dominic are working their way back. Costas isn't very far away. I did note, though, there was mention that Costas had surgery, which is strange because within two weeks of his injury, he was back running, and that's not necessarily something that you'd have, that you'd be doing um, after, you know, collarbone or shoulder surgery. So I'm not really sure what's gone on there. Fulham, though, they've they've got very few issues. Adama Traore is injured. Calvin Bassey and Alex Iwobi are both away, and as is Fode Balotoure, who never plays anyway. The Iwobi absentee is is sort of the big one that I would I would look at there because Bassey, I know, is is a starter for them, but I mean it's not like Diop and Tolson and Tim Ream aren't all good centre-backs. They're all fine. You don't, you're not really missing Bassey a whole lot. I do think they miss Awobi and the pace and power he adds to their midfield. I think their midfield's a little bit one-paced without him. Yeah, he's the ball carrier, isn't he? He's the one who can break lines without having to actually pick a pass through the through the midfield or you know, make a deep run to make an extra attacker in the final third. He's the one who can carry the ball there centrally. He can dribble it past people. He's really, really good at doubling up down the flanks. You can use him any way you want in the midfield line uh, across five positions, basically. I think he's such a good player, to be perfectly honest. Um, He is a miss for them, but they do still have quite a solid, let's say, team without him. Um, Even if he's not there, they don't lack for physicality in midfield. They don't lack for speed or guile. They have other players who can do each thing. I think that he's just the one who can do all of those things for them. So Liverpool's team, uh, Cuevin Callagher, I assume, retains his place in goal because this is sort of his competition. For sure. Joe Gomez, right back. Andy Robertson, left back. Um, 
I mean, it really depends. Linda said Robertson had only had one training session, hadn't he? So 13 weeks out is quite a lot. Um, I'd probably be tempted there to There was go. a shoulder injury. Like, it's not like it was a muscle or anything. I know, but 13 weeks out is still a lot to, you know, losing in terms of touch and sharpness. And, you know, it is a semi-final. I think I'd still be tempted to start Randall and Gomez. Um Randall? Connor Randall? That's not right. Connor Bradley. Let's pick the right one. Randall's not here anymore. He hasn't been for years. Connor Bradley and uh, <laughs> and Joe Gomez's fullbacks and bring Robertson on as and when, let's say. So in uh, Connor Randall, for anybody wondering, is uh, is currently playing for Ross County in the Scottish Premiership. Um, has, has got on to have himself you know, a, a solid career. At centre-back, then, uh, do you go Ibu and Virgil, assuming Ibu is, is OK after the knock he took, and then yeah. look at maybe, say, Kwanzaa and Gomez to start against Norwich? Yeah, OK. Midfield, um, Harvey, Alexis and, and Curtis again? Are we assuming Dominic is not back for fitness because he appears to be OK? Linder said this game would come too soon for him. He'd be back for Norwich. Fair enough. Um, maybe maybe Gravenberg for this one over Elliot. Oh dear. Um, I'm not sure I could watch Ryan Gravenberg shit himself in tackles against Jepelina, to be honest. Um, in attack, then I assume the same three that started against Bournemouth start here. Yes, I, I don't see any don't see any reason to change it. Yeah, I thought they were a really good second half. They were working well in tandem with each other, so I'd, I'd be happy to keep the same three. Cool. Um, for them, I mean. I assume it's it's Leno and goal. Um, Kenny Tete or Castanier right back, Robinson left back, Diop and Tosin in the middle, unless Tim Ream gets called in. In midfield, I assume we'll see Joe Polina and Harrison Reed. And then I think he'll go D Cordova Reed, Pereira, and Willian behind Raul Jimenez. Sounds about right to me. And what's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to go for the same score as the first leg, so 2-1 Liverpool. Mm. I'm going to go 2-0. I'm going to go 2-0. I'm going to back Virgil and Ibu to just be absolutely monstrous again and uh, and get us a clean sheet. Right, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, no, since I've been off work, not a lot at all. Well, for some. When's the next holiday? Where are we away to next? Uh, probably not until March to Rome. There's a marathon in Rome we'll be going to, so probably that, to be honest. Are you running in the marathon? Uh, I, I was potentially doing so, but actually I managed to pull a hamstring last night at five aside, so no, I won't be because there's not enough training time now. Oh, lovely. Well, hopefully that is something that recovers quickly. See, this is the this is the risk of long haul fight flights before playing football. <laughs> this is this is what happens, you know. As as Guy was saying before we started um, recording, me and Mo Salah exactly the same. Long haul flights, hamstring. Exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. Um, <laughs> not not until March. The two holidays in January, but you're meant to feel sorry for him because he's not away <laughs> again until March. That's that's some life. Right, we will be back later in the week and. Hopefully my internet will work properly because otherwise I might lose my head. Right, folks, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. 
please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.